This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host, researcher and entrepreneur, Oli Tikkanen. Yeah, yeah. And how, how would you say, like, if somebody's thinking of using wearable cameras, do you think with, with kind of your advice and with your protocol that you, you were able to pass the ethical uh, uh, ethical uh, approval? So do you think, would you recommend other researchers to do with this method? Absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of using this type of measurement to measure not just only screen exposure, but a number of other behaviors. But I think it's important we need to consult with people. Um, the formative part of this work is is probably more important than, than any other element of the work. You know, we need to understand what are the concerns? Um, how do we overcome such concerns if they, if they come about? Um, so I think we need to talk to people and different types of people, um, if, particularly if we're using them in free living conditions. We need to talk to parents. We need to talk to siblings, teachers. You know, we, we really need to understand what are the challenges from their perspectives. As a researcher, we often go into these studies thinking, ah, it'd be fine. You know, we can usually get away with this or we can it, it will work out. But the reality of using wearable cameras in free living conditions is, is very challenging. It's very different to what we might assume. So I think the best advice I can give anyone who is is thinking about using wearable cameras uh, in this setting is to, to simply talk to people, um, do a formative protocol to really understand what's going on um, and what the concerns might be. Um, but I do believe that these images provide us with great information um, in terms of really understanding what's going on um, with regards to screen use. It provides us with a whole new ele- element and dimension of, of screen use. So we can then move to to the findings of this 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 study. What did you? What were the main findings? Yeah. So of seventy five thousand images, we found that over seventy percent of those involved screen activity. Um, so a lot of images, a lot of time was spent using screens over the course of four days. Um, we also found that approximately sixteen percent of those images involved multi screening. So it kind of uh, was a it asserted a lot of the stuff we found in the interview studies that multi-screening was happening, um, but we got a little bit more information in terms of what were the combinations of screens. And often smartphones would be engaged with TVs. This is the highest percentage of images that we found. We had a lot of occurrences of smartphone and TV use at the same time. So it really provided us good information around of that in terms of asserting study three, the interview-based study. But it provided us some information about the context as well. Um, we found that the majority of screen use was engaged in the home environment. Again, we need to take into account that we didn't measure screen time in schools, but we did look at home environment and outside of that home environment after that school period. And of course, a full weekend day as well. So approximately, um, yeah, there was about 89% of images in the home environment. And when we looked at, you know, where in the home, we found that a lot of the, the screen use was engaged in the bedroom environment. Um, again, so it would often retreat alone in isolation. Adolescents would be alone engaging in their smartphones and mobile touchscreen devices. Um, so again, this is, this is it's asserting the study uh, from before, but it provides more of a direct kind of uh, function of learning about what was going on. 
We also learned about some of the social interactions. And interestingly, we didn't find too many in-person social interactions whilst adolescents were using screens. So, for example, as I've said, uh, adolescents would often retreat to the bedroom on their own. But we, this is one of the limitations of the cameras. We've got a first-person point-of-view view but we can't see what's happening potentially on their heads. Are they wearing a headset? Are they engaging with their friends online? So lots of video gaming occurred, particularly among boys, but we, we couldn't quite understand or, or tell if, if they were engaging with friends through another form of, of engagement. Um, and this is something that we actually you know, we discussed in, in, in the paper that, okay, there wasn't much in-person interaction, but it's very likely that many online interactions were occurring through video game use as well. So that was one of the, the, the key findings. And we also looked at some of the temporal patternings as well. So we looked at on a weekday, when was screen use occurring, um, particularly to, based on what type of device as well. We found that laptop use was very prevalent in the immediate after school period, most likely to engage in homework tasks. Uh, we found that TV use um, was often engaged in the middle evening sector. Um, and then smartphone use was very prevalent in the pre-bedtime hours. Um, so this was, again, very important in terms of informing when do we need to intervene? Uh, when do we need to intervene with particular devices? On the weekend day, there was a very different structure in terms of the temporal patterning of different devices. And it was very, very varied. Um, you know, smartphones fluctuated throughout the day. It would often be lots big use. And then an hour later, maybe it would dip, but up again. And it was very, very fluctuant in that sense. So very difficult to probably engage with a screen time intervention on the weekend day because it's very different. It's very, very variable um, in terms of their, their temporal pattern and such use. So again, we need, to, we need to look at this. We need to think about, okay, if we are going to intervene, when are we going to intervene? And if we do intervene at that time, what devices are most prevalent during those times? And these wearable cameras provide us with that data. So you said that 70% of the images included a screen. How much did you estimate that is the screen use as percentage or, or with per hours? I, I don't know. How did you define the time? Yeah. Yeah, good question. So um, we we what we had is that every image would be a we we assumed it was for ten seconds because the epoch was ten seconds. So we were able to kind of calculate roughly um, kind of the average screen use that was occurring. But of course, we 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 assume, but we can't be so sure in terms of how much screen use was happening because smartphones is a good example. Might we might have got an image of a smartphone when they were simply just picking up, checking their vacation and then popping it down. So whilst we could kind of estimate rough calculations or estimations of time, it was more of a study about understanding the context, understanding what was going on in the environment at the time, um, as opposed to the duration and the time of, of screens. Yeah, so cannot really determine what's the bias of the of the questionnaire, so other methods with this one. Yeah, that's it. And, you know, we could use smaller epochs, we could even use video footage, but we need to take into account some of the mechanical issues that come alongside that, you know, the battery capacity, we need to consider, we need to consider the ethical standpoint, do adolescents and parents or other people want video footage? Or, or did the, the fact that we were only taking pictures every 10 seconds provide them a little bit more comfort, a little bit more privacy comfort? So, you know, we need to account for this, we can't just assume that that's the way to do it, we need to ask people to think about, well, is that okay? Can we do that? So what what would you say are the practical applications like if we we know now how the weekday pattern goes between different devices how would you how do you, would you intervene do you see that there's a reason to intervene what would be the practical applications 
Well, first and foremost, I think we need to come away from screen duration. Um, I think we need to come away from the idea that all screens are bad um, and all screen use and screen time is bad. We need to think about more what's actually happening. Um, you know, so when we talk about intervening, we often think about, well, we need to intervene in terms of reducing time spent on screen. But actually, maybe we need to look at it in terms of, well, what's happening? Um, if it's a certain type of screen use that potentially is not as good for us, then yet we can intervene and we can look at reducing that time. But what about other types of screen use? And this is something which hasn't been able to be really looked at in the past because it's it's ever a change in. We have new devices. We have new uses of, of, of devices now. So I think in terms of an intervention, we need to really consider how we do it and, and look at the nuances of, of screen use in, in younger people. Um, we need to understand more about the functions it's serving before we intervene. So really, it's about understanding first and foremost before we step in and say, OK, this needs to be influenced. This needs to be managed because I don't, I'm not convinced we know enough at this stage in terms of actually understanding um, what's going on. And until we really understand of what's going on in the, the, the environment around that behavior, it's very difficult to say, well, this needs to change or the time on this device needs to change. We need to understand first and foremost through better measurement, through more direct measurement, what's actually happening. Can we understand what's going on? And how, how would you classify if we start to think that what is, what is a good use and what is bad use? So basically you can think that if you are watching silly videos, for example, it takes away time from something else being social or learning something useful. Then there's the aspect of not doing physical activity, being too sedentary, maybe for excessive durations. How would you classify different things that we can kind of categorize maybe maybe bad or good? Yeah, that's a great, great question. Um, and I often have these chats a lot um, in terms of, you know, what is good, what is bad? Um, and if we look in the past, typically we would have a TV, conventional TV set in the living room, we'd be sat down and it would mostly be passive engagement. These days, I mean, if you look at what we're doing right now, we're engaging, we're, we're communicating, um, you know, we're cognitively engaged. Yes, I'm sat down. So from a physical standpoint, I'm sedentary, but we're cognitively engaged. We're actually activating other elements of our, of our bodily system. So is that, are we doing right now? Is it bad? Is it good? Um, or is it a little bit in between? And I think this is key. We need to not necessarily look at things as good or bad, very black and white thinking, what are we actually taking away from the fact that, yeah, we are sedentary, but there are there are potential benefits that are happening. And I think this is the case for a number of different screen use. Um, you know, if you look at video gaming, yeah, typically we're sedentary. Um, but what's actually happening for them? They're socially connected with their friends. They're engaging with their friends. They're cognitively engaged. You know, so it's not as simple as just simply sat down and watching passive screen time anymore. We We need to consider other elements and other functions of screen use, particularly now that there are more and more devices than we've ever had, more and more digital content than we've ever had. So in terms of classifying whether it's good or bad, my answer is simply it's complex and we need to understand more um, about what's going on. What do you think, what kind of studies we would need that we can we can do this this better? Well, first and foremost, I think we need to use better measurement. Um, of the behavior and that's not necessarily just simply through wearable cameras alone it might be through other observational techniques and it doesn't discount the use of questionnaires or surveys or time use diaries but I think we need to have a more of an integrated approach not just rely on simply one 
method of measurement. Um, we need to consider other types of measurement um, that provides us with more information, not just simply about the time. So that'd be my first point of call, is to improve the measurement of screen exposure. Uh, one that accounts for a number of different parts of screen use, not just the time. I think we need to talk more. Um, I think we need to understand the perspectives, not just from the, the children and adolescents themselves, but from the team around the child, you know, who are consistently engaged with the child during screen use. Um, you know, we need to think about parents. We need to think about care providers, educational providers. We need to talk to more and more people about what their perspectives are, but what are the solutions? What do they perceive to be the solutions? Again, as researchers, we often think that we can find the golden key, but actually there's probably a number of golden keys that we need to consider. And we can only find that out if we talk to people, we talk to the right people. So I think that's an important area of research. Uh, we need to ask the question, what is the problem? Is it a problem? Um, and if it is a problem, well, what can we do from your perspective? And I think we can sometimes rely too much on what we think or what we assume and what we hypothesize, but we're not going to know unless we actually ask the people themselves. So I think this is key. I think you've got a qualitative element, but you've got a measurement element to it as well. How How is it just an idea to my mind, like these are smart devices, so they, they, they can kind of track themselves. Is there any any apps which you could use in research that is actually like seeing that when is actually somebody typing, when is somebody watching a video, so it would just annotate the file and you wouldn't need to do the hard work of going <laughs> through the images. And then, for example, if you'd combine it with the, for example, thigh-worn axillometry or something, you would actually get the context of posture and then then you would get from the device. Have you seen any studies like this? Yeah, so it's a, it's a great idea and it's something which I've seen happen. Um, the, the challenge with this technique is that we are limiting ourselves to devices that only have smart on them um, or have a smart application on them. So, you know, mobile touchscreen devices typically will, but then we, we're not necessarily looking into TV use, video game use. So we are very limited in terms of that information is great, but it's only great for particular devices. Um, so that's where the use of more of an integrated approach where we have another device or another type of measurement that might be able to capture the full spectrum of what's going on, as opposed to just simply relying on this app or smart device. But I think it's a great and potentially very innovative method of, of capturing what's going on and particularly the content of what's being viewed on these devices. But I don't think we should be relying on that method alone. Uh, we need to be considering a number of measurement techniques that one that has the balance right, one that doesn't necessarily burden the participant, but provide us with the most accurate information we possibly can get. This podcast is sponsored by Fibian, a research device that has been shown to be valid in tracking sitting, standing, physical activity, and energy expenditure. Furthermore, Fibian has been shown to be valid categorizing physical activity into light, moderate, and vigorous intensity. In addition to scientific accuracy, Fibian provides automatically produced and easy-to-understand reports for research participants. Get scientific validation and learn more about Fibian at fibian.com research. Fibian. From researchers to researchers. Yeah, I I haven't had a TV in 10, 15 years, so I don't know, but aren't they also smart? And, and also the consoles, they you kind of lock into them, right? 
Uh, or... Yeah, so in, in certain cases, they, they might be smart, but whether they can track what's going on is another matter. So in the past, from in terms of a TV standpoint, um, studies have often had a digital recorder on the TV, which you would click to say you're in the room, you're watching TV, and then you click it off when you're done. Um, so there's there's a few different ways you can you can do it. Um, but it's it's difficult. It's challenging because there's so many devices. It's difficult to capture the full spectrum through one measurement protocol alone, and not just simply just the device. But it's very difficult in terms of capturing all the context. Um, are they socially engaged? Not just through in person, but online. How do we capture that? Um, so it's there's a number of things we need to consider, and it's not easy. Um, but the more that we actually start thinking about using a more integrated approach um, of, of measurement, the, the, I think the closer we're getting to understanding what's really going on, what is the reality um, of modern modern screen use. So interesting studies to be done. If, if we move to the recommendations at the moment in, uh, in sedentary behavior and physical activity recommendations for children, you have guidelines for the screen use. Do you, do you see them being being correct would you like to see any any changes made to those okay so short answer yes um but i think it's very complex and i think this is where the conversation around translation of evidence comes in um so the evidence is starting to suggest that it's more complex than just simply putting a time frame on the amount of use children should be having per day or how much screen time they should be having per day but in terms of how we communicate that to the general public is a whole new issue so in an ideal world, we'd have a guideline which provides a lot more nuanced um, perspective on screen use. It would provide us in terms of, okay, well, what type of use might be good? What type of use might not be so good? But in terms of actually communicating this and making this understandable to the general public, it's, it's quite difficult. Um, you know, simply having a document, are they actually going to understand that? Are they going to read that? How can we actually project this information in a way which is not only accessible, but understandable? So yes, I think guidelines do need to, to change from a simply a duration standpoint into more contextual. And of course, uh, newer guidelines are starting to consider this, which is great to see, but it needs to be understandable. It needs to be simple, um, which is difficult because it is so nuanced. The area is so complex that it can't just be a, a one or a two sentence guideline. It needs to be more. But maybe we can change about how we actually provide that guidance. Maybe that's the the issue here. Maybe we need to think about okay, just providing a, a government a government document isn't enough. We need to think about more innovative ways that are accessible to to more people. Whether that's through social media, whether that's through uh, other platforms, it's something which needs to be looked into. The translation of evidence is so interesting because you know we we don't simply just have. Uh, a simple solution to this uh, screen use it's so complex um so it needs to change yeah yeah and now now the screen use recommendations are part of sedentary behavior and physical activity recommendations but there's many psychological effects there's many many different kind of developmental effects on on screen use do you think there should be a specific guidelines which are not part of physical activity guidelines for screen use yeah, it's a great idea. Um, I think there's more um, more emerging research which is coming out from screen use, particularly just screen use. And I think we need to look at what's being viewed. I think in terms of just uh, looking at the association between the device and mental health indicators isn't enough. We need to look at, okay, well, what's actually happening? Yes, they are using a smartphone, but what is it that's causing an association 
between certain mental health indicators. What what effect is it having on them? And I think we can only do that through better measurement, through what content is being viewed. Um, you know, there's been a lot of research into video game use and mental health um, because we can look at what the type of video game use is. But maybe we need to look a bit deeper into other types of devices and, and smartphone use, TV programming, uh, social media use is a big one coming through uh, in terms of mental health indicators. So I think it's a, maybe a bit too early to say whether there needs to be a separate guideline from physical activity. But I think it's it has scope and I think there's potential um, research that needs to be clearer in this space um, in, in the sense of is there a mental health impact on, on children and adolescents? Um, and we can only do this if we get the measurement right. And I keep coming back to this, but it's true. We need to get the measurement right. We need to understand, yes, they're using a t- particular device, but that doesn't necessarily give us the full picture. What are they doing on that device? What's the function it's serving them? How are they using that device? And when we get that information and we start pairing it with some mental health indicators, that's when we can be more confident about if there's an impact or not. Um, so I think the, the, the formative stuff is important first. And and you said that the recommendations need to be really simple. But then I'm thinking also that parents are reading reading books about many things, how to do parenting. Like, do you think there should be, it's a really big part of children's and adolescents' life, the screen use. Should there be a book explaining different contexts? Like, how do you, how do, you do parenting in, in relation to this? Yeah, it's great. It's a great question. I think it, it, there's no one solution um there isn't just uh, a book's not going to do it um alone um a guideline government document isn't going to do it alone we need to think about how parents access information what do they go to what's their information outlet is it social media is it through more informative guidelines is it through uh, books uh, is it through more infographics visual content we need to understand that and We need to figure out, okay, well, my my kind of impression that there will be a number of things. No parent is the same and they will access information differently. So we need to be creative in terms of how we translate the evidence, how we translate guidelines. And simply, we just we don't know at this stage. Um, and where we're figuring out and where we're learning that it's so complex, we're yet to reach the part where we start thinking about, okay, it's complex, but how do we start translating the evidence? So That's where I think talking to people, that when I talked before about what needs to be done going forward, I think we just simply need to talk to people, not just ask them about the screen use, but how would you prefer that information gets to you? How do you access information? Um, we look at influencers on social media and you know you think about how much audience they have, the, the, the numbers, the followers, and potentially we need to look at these avenues as well. And it's a little bit off the cuff and it's a little bit off the wall, but maybe they could be beneficial. Maybe they might actually be able to help us in terms of getting that evidence across um, in a way which they can. And it's it's a it's a bit of a minefield, but uh, it's something which we need to look at. Yeah, I, I think that's good because I think in, in at least in Finland, they were using influencers in the beginning of the COVID pandemic to to promote the kind of the knowledge of COVID and how to, how to protect against it. So I, I don't see why they couldn't do it with the screen use. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it's it's understanding first and foremost why parents or where why other people might go to that platform or other platforms. And when we can understand why, the why is so important in this space. The understanding that part can inform so much else. It can inform the way we do things, how we do things. But 
often we might skip that point. We might assume we know the why, but we don't know the why unless we ask them. And this is where it's really important. And also if I'm seeing like, uh, for example, gambling is forbidden in many countries, so it's controlled because it's, it's addictive. And I think the same goes, for example, like Netflix algorithms or YouTube algorithms, they try to keep you hooked on the platform for longer. But for example, in YouTube, I think they, they have changed the algorithm now that in the beginning, they were just their goal was to have as long period of watching uh, in a single bout. And that was the algorithm's goal. And then they understood that if if you keep people too long, they are unhappy and then they don't watch anymore. So now it's about long-term watch time and not single. And they kind of try to keep people happy in, in some way. But of, of course, we can control the algorithms. There could be laws about this. And I, I think your studies about binge-watching could, could inform this kind of policy as well. Yeah, it's it, it's a science in itself, understanding the kind of the... The, the, what pulls people in to watch more screen time and it's it's a really the mechanisms behind that is very interesting and aside from the binge watching we also found in the qualitative study that checking smartphone checking the smartphone for notification was an automated process and sometimes adolescents didn't even need a notification it was an automated automatic thing just to check the phone and typically once they did that even if there wasn't a notification it would lead to more prolonged use um, so it's almost that, yeah, it, it's this innate kind of uh, habitual process now, which it, it makes it incredibly hard and uh, to change that behavior. Um, but yeah, you're right. There are platforms now like such as YouTube and Netflix, which they just pull you in and uh, they're, they're very clever. And, and I think this is why it's important to connect with these organizations as well from a, from a partner and industry standpoint. Can we actually talk to, to people? Can we talk to these people and understand the, the use and understand the marketing strategies that are pulling them in? We have talked one hour, but maybe maybe a little bit more about your, you have a new role in Curtin University. Could you tell more about your center for the digital child? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the center for the digital child is a fantastic um, team we have in terms of trying to understand very similar to what we've been talking about today, but understanding it in a younger child population. Um, we've got a fantastic team, very forward thinking, um, using innovative measures that we talked about today, but understanding the team around the child, not just simply looking at the child alone, um, you know, understanding what influences and factors actually have an impact on their screen use. Um, so it's a fantastic opportunity um, that I'm, I'm very keen to get my teeth into um, and to start just collaborating with not just a health from a health standpoint but start collaborating with other kind of industries education from a more social perspective and start looking at it from a more transdisciplinary approach um, and i think this is something which we need to do more so of um, we need to start asking people and working with people that have a different perspective of screen use than what we might have as health researchers um, potentially what we think um, is very different to what someone might think in education to what somebody might think in a more of a connected sense, a social media sense. So this is something which the centre is very keen on doing, is working interdisciplinary, um, and that's something which excites me. Um, so there's 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 a lot lots going on in the centre, um, very exciting projects happening, um, and I'm very keen to get involved. Mm, sounds sounds great. If you're looking for any international collaboration, you can you can advertise <laughs> advertise it here. <laughs> Absolutely, we're we're always on the hunt for for great researchers, and you know I'm very aware. Being a, being an early career researcher, I've got I've got into a lot of literature, and uh, there's some fantastic people 
um, that have already done some great work in this space. And I'm very keen to work with with people in to to, to really try and push, particularly the use of wearable cameras um, in in this population, because not a lot has been done in younger children between zero to five years, in the sense where direct measurement has simply not been used. So I'm really keen to work with people that have got some experience um, and got some just just interest in, in using more direct measurement of screen exposure in that population. Sounds sounds great. So good luck with your new new job. I can see from your bookshelf behind that you haven't got your books yet in the <laughs> in the office. Not not quite. So I'm actually currently working remotely uh, in Queensland. So I'm I'm getting ready for the move to Perth. Uh, so it's very very exciting time for me. Yeah, good. So before wrapping up, do you have anything to anything you would like to add? I think the the key thing for me is is. I'd like to state a question which I always get asked, and that's, is screens or are screens good or bad? And I think for me, the the best answer I can give is we simply need to understand the complexity of it before we answer that question. And I don't think screens will ever be good, and I don't think screens will ever be bad. I think they will always be very complex. And the, the quicker we can understand that, um, the, the quicker we can really understand how we move forward and how we actually create a, a balance of the 21st century and the demands of using screens. Um, and I think the, that's important to, to state, yeah. Mm. So so basically the final remark would be it's complex. I think Stuart Biddle said the same about uh, behavior you can, change. <laughs> you, can, you can tell Stuart's my, uh, my supervisor um, from a PhD because he's, yeah, he's had a strong influence on that. But it's true. Um, I, I really think there's so many more dimensions that we need to consider before we start answering that question. So uh, yeah, that's, that's probably the, the last tickle for me. Uh, but I'm very appreciative of the opportunity to talk to you today, Oli. Thank you. Yeah, this is great. Thanks, George. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever app you use. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.